God is not impressed with a man or a woman's IQ, nor is he impressed with their strength, their beauty, their wealth, or their military or political power. Not at all. All of these things were given and made available to man by his Creator. But God can be impressed. What he is impressed with is faith, childlike faith. Hebrews 11:6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Jesus is impressed with faith in Luke 7, 6 through 10. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant, whole, that had been sick. When life is approached in childlike faith in God's Christ, whose name is the Word of God, Revelation 19.13, everything comes up roses. Even if it often does not appear so, be patient. Everything will. When life is approached through unbelief, everything ends up bad, really bad. But God has supplied a way of escape, and it will require childlike faith. If you have yet to be born again, born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God, as Jesus declares in John 3, 3, you may question whether you have childlike faith, but you do. For the Bible teaches that everyone has been dealt a portion of faith. Today's science from multiple sources has discovered that man has been genetically hardwired for faith. I recall the title of the book, written by biologist Dean Hamer, the former chief of gene structure at the National Cancer Institute. Excuse me. The title, The God Gene, How Faith is Hardwired into Our Genes. You do have faith. Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God and compares it to the mustard seed in Mark 4, 31 through 33. It is like a grain of mustard seed which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is grown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. Again, he speaks of the little mustard seed and compares it to faith in Matthew seventeen twenty. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Your childlike faith, your mustard seed, needs some attention. It needs planted, where it dies out to self and gives life to others. Jesus speaks of his crucifixion in John twelve twenty three through 25. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Are you ready to plant your mustard seed and begin the journey to eternal life? You will have the opportunity to make this decision in mere moments. Today, every sin and all its shame can be expunged from your record. Today, all of Satan's chains will be broken, every single one. Today, you will become a new creature. Everything will become brand new. And today, you will gain power to live life and live it more abundantly, even eternally. Are you ready to begin this glorious adventure? Follow me in this simple prompt, and it begins now. Here we go. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the marvelous kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. God said, Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. God said, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. Man said, living fossils and uparts. Yes, that's what they are. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 981, that will once again certify the supernatural inerrancy of God's beautiful book, the Holy Bible. All of these marvelous features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ and as bait for the fishers of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Take advantage of four highly beneficial God Said, Man Said features. Number one, you have questions? God has answers. Whatever your question, type a keyword into the search bar top right and watch the screen populate with related information from Adam and Eve to quantum physics. Two, use the tell a friend feature above to send a message to someone you love. It's so quick and easy. Number three, imagine you can download nearly 405 hours of God Said, Man Said features to your electronic device. Listen to one every day. And number four, sign up for the God Said, Man Said weekly broadcast and fresh bread will be delivered to you, God willing, every Thursday eve. Thank you for visiting. May God's joy be multiplied unto you. The first sin ever committed was committed by the first woman that God had made out of Adam's rib, our grandmother Eve. Microbiology now knows with certainty that all of mankind today hails from one common mother whom science calls mtDNA Eve. Eve believed Satan's words over God, so in an act of unbelief, Followed by the physical act of disobedience, she and Adam, who followed her lead, opened the door to the law of sin and death 
and all the world's miseries. Romans 14.23 defines sin, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Unbelief in God's word is sin. When you approach the facts of life with faith in God's word, everything is right side up. The answers easily fall into place and the solutions are well defined. When one approaches the facts of life with unbelief in God's word, everything is upside down. The answers are absent and solutions can't be found. The unbeliever's general state is what God's word calls confusion of face. The God of today's carnal educators is called evolution, foundational to evolution. Without this, evolution could not exist, is the doctrine of uniformitarianism. Uniformitarianism declares that the present is the key to the past and that the Earth's geologic history has proceeded at a very uniform rate similar to what is observed today. Approaching the apparent geological facts from the position of unbelief turns everything upside down. Instead of the Earth and its universe being just over 6,000 years old, the age offered is in the billions. Students of the Word of God understand that two major global events took place in the past that were certainly not uniform. Major global event number one. If you arrived on Earth seven days after creation began, you would assume the Earth had history when there was none. Had you come upon the apple tree laden with fruit, you would assume history. But other than four days, there was none. Had you encountered Adam and Eve, you would have assumed history yet they were only one day old. Imagine Adam didn't witness God's creative handiwork during the first five days and part of the sixth day of creation. Adam had no way of knowing how God did it. He had to take his word for it. That's called faith. Obviously, the creation of the earth and its universe, including all life forms and six 24-hour days, would not be considered uniform. Major global event number two. The second global event that blows the doctrine of uniformitarianism out of the water is the global flood in the days of Noah that destroyed all living creatures that had the breath of life in its nostrils with the exception of those upon the ark. Empirical data supporting this global, earth-changing flood is truly staggering. Fish fossils on every mountain peak. Flood strata covering three-quarters of the earth. Over 500 ancient and mostly extra-biblical societal accounts the vast majority of all fossils buried as a result of water action, and just so much more. But because carnal academia begins their approach to the facts in the spirit of the deceivableness of unrighteousness, the conclusions they derive can only be delusional. The foundation of uniformitarianism is truly sinking sand. When facts and not theories are presented, the evolutionists are left bewildered and red-faced. Evolution leaves the carnal mind in a state of confusion and foolishness. As a result of their starting point of unbelief, they offer billions of years instead of the Bible's record of just over 6,000 years. They offer the Big Bang, postulating the earth, its universe, and all its amazing life forms evolving out of nothing instead of being created and orchestrated by the creating hand of the God of all knowledge. They offer life's beginning, as a single-celled organism accidentally slithering out of some mystical primordial soup instead of man being made in the very image and likeness of God. 
They offer men evolving from lower life forms and entering the picture as IQ-challenged, stupid, underdeveloped, unsophisticated, grunting, hunter-gatherer, caveman versus Adam being made in God's image and likeness with a godlike brain, yes, genius upon genius. The spirit of unbelief will always leave one upside down. They call them UPARTS, which is an acronym for out-of-place artifacts. The following excerpts are from Dr. D. E. Chittick's book, The Puzzle of Ancient Man, Evidence for Advanced Technology in Past Civilizations. In fact, the cultural remains of ancient man are so at odds with the evolutionary picture for man's origin that a special term has been coined to describe these artifacts. The term is UPARTS, an acronym for out-of-place artifacts. The following paragraph is from R. Norbergen's book, Secrets of Lost Races. For the past 30 years, there has been a steadily increasing number of historical and archaeological discoveries made at various sites around the world, which because of their mysterious and highly controversial nature have been classified as out-of-place artifacts, thus the name Uparts. The reason for this designation is that they are found in geological strata where they shouldn't be, and their sudden appearance in these layers of ancient dirt has baffled the minds of many a trained scientific observer. They emerge from among the remains of the treasured past sands evidence of any preceding period of culture and technological growth. Another term similar to uparts used by evolution is living fossils. With this term, they attempt to cloak a raft of today's fossils purportedly buried millions of years ago, yet these living life forms show no evidence of evolution. One in particular is a fish called the colacanth, which evolution claims belongs to an ancient lineage that has been around for more than 360 million years, but which also shows no sign of having evolved in that time. According to God, <coughs> man operated at a level of serious intelligence from day one. Adam was downloaded with marvelous knowledge from God his father. His brain was godlike. His skills would have been unsurpassed by the likes of modern man. Adam had an excellent mind and vocabulary, perfectly naming all the animals, even one called Hippopotamus. Famed historian Flavius Josephus, who wrote shortly after the death of Jesus Christ, had in his possession the ancient library once stored in the destroyed Jewish temple. He wrote that Adam's son Seth could write. Josephus wrote in chapter 2 of book 1 of the Antiquities of the Jews the following. Now Adam, who was the first man and made out of the earth, for our discourse must now be about him, after Abel was slain and Cain fled away on account of his murder, was solicitous for posterity and had a vehement desire of children. He had indeed many other children, but Seth in particular. As for the rest, it would be tedious to name them. I will therefore only endeavor to give an account of those that proceeded from Seth. Now this Seth, when he was brought up came and came to those years in which he could discern what was good, became a virtuous man, and as he was himself of an excellent character, so did he leave children behind him who imitated his virtues. All these proved to be of good dispositions. They also inhabited the same country without dissensions and in a happy condition without any misfortunes falling upon them till they died. They also were the inventors of that peculiar sort of wisdom which is concerned with the heavenly bodies and their order. 
and that their inventions might not be lost before they were sufficiently known upon Adam's prediction that the world was to be destroyed at one time by the force of fire and at another time by the violence and quantity of water, they made two pillars, the one of brick, the other of stone. They inscribed their discoveries on them both that in case the pillar of brick should be destroyed by the flood, the pillar of stone might remain and exhibit those discoveries to mankind and also inform them that there was another pillar of brick erected by them. Now, this remains in the land of Syriad to this day. End of quote. Seth had knowledge of the heavenly bodies and their order. Chittick writes in The Puzzle of Ancient Man, an additional feature relating to ancient optical technology is the fact that the ancients appear to have had a surprising amount of accurate astronomical knowledge. This knowledge would appear surprising if we make the assumption that the ancients were primitive. However, if they did actually possess optical capability, they certainly could have used that technology uh, to gather accurate astronomical information. The planet Saturn, for example, was represented as having rings. The rings of Saturn, however, cannot be seen with the naked eye. End of quote. Adam was not a grunting caveman. Noah, his wife, and three sons and daughters-in-law who started the new earth after the flood would have been the repositors of the pre-flood world's knowledge. Keep in mind that the earth began just over 6,000 years ago. According to Bishop Usher, Noah boarded the ark December 7, 2349 B.C., or just 4,368 years ago. Note this feature is published in 2019 A.D. Today's scientific research continually attests to the biblical claim of a young earth. Frequent visitors to God Said Man Said are familiar with the research of Stanford University professor Gerald Crabtree, who published a pair of essays in the journal Trends in Genetics. These essays show a decline in mental capabilities as a result of harmful genetic mutations. Concerning human intelligence... Crabtree reported that it perhaps reached a peak 2,000 to 6,000 years ago. 6,000 years ago, man's best brain was made, and it belonged to Adam. The template for the clothing industry was formed when God made clothing for Adam and Eve out of animal skins to cover their nakedness. What outfits these must have been. Adam was genius upon genius. His first son, Cain, was into agriculture, and Adam's second son, Abel, was into animal husbandry. These were not grunting hunter-gatherers, but were endowed with highly sophisticated capabilities. That's what faith reports. In Dr. Chittick's book, The Puzzle of Ancient Man, many upart examples of early man's sophistication are cited. Excerpts follow. What are some examples of items which might be classified as an upart? In 1952, archaeologists opened an undisturbed tomb in China. The tomb dates to the Jin Dynasty, 265 to 420 A.D. A skeleton in the tomb was encircled with a belt on which were about 20 pieces of metal, four of which were nearly pure aluminum. Aluminum is not an easy metal to extract from its ore. Modern aluminum plants uh, use a process of electro, uh, electrolysis to obtain metallic aluminum. It appears that the Chinese were able to isolate aluminum from its ores 
1,500 years or more before modern science discovered a practical method for doing it. As in the case for the Incas, many ancient cultures around the world appeared to have originated about the same time of roughly four to 5,000 years ago, which is two to 3,000 B.C. They appear with an already developed high level of technical development. Pyramids, for example, are not unique to Egypt, but a pyramid belt is found around the world, including the Americas and Asia. Can a satisfying and logically consistent explanation for these facts be obtained? The title in an article written by Robert Patton in Omni magazine in September 1982 was Uparts. As you read his statement cited by Chittick, think of Adam and Noah. The unprecedented explosion of knowledge 5,000 years ago, they believe, may have been foreshadowed by an earlier society whose cultural remnants have long since vanished. Norbergen writes, A closer look at the strange artifacts now suggests that the Uparts originated in a man-made civilization, one that antedated known history, one that attained an elevated degree of development, but was destroyed to such an extent by a devastating catastrophe in the distant past that only a few remnants of its science and technology survived among the inferior cultures that succeeded it in history, end of quote. Dr. Chittick goes on to write, Nevertheless, some reflection of the high technical achievements of mankind even before the flood is hinted at by Uparts and in the passage of Genesis chapter 4, verses 20 through 22, and it reads, And Ada bare Jabal, he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. Archaeologists have uncovered musical instruments from very ancient times, although we cannot be certain about the exact dates of them. Some of these ancient instruments are not crude or primitive, but are highly crafted. Even with our modern technology, we do not know how these ancient instruments might be improved to make better music. Evidence indicates that music itself is very ancient. An increasingly large amount of evidence indicates that early post-flood dwellers did indeed possess an amazing mount, amount of accurate knowledge of the globe. One indication of that is the existence of copies of ancient maps, such as the Piri Reis map. In maps of ancient sea kings, Hapgood reports, There was, he, Professor Hapgood asserted, irrefutable evidence that the earth had been comprehensively mapped before 4000 B.C. by a hitherto unknown and undiscovered civilization which had achieved a high level of technological advancement. The Piri Reis map and other copies of very ancient maps show that the ancients not only were aware of world geography, but that they accurately mapped it as well. For example, the entire coastline of Antarctica before the Ice Age was mapped, including the location of the South Geographic Pole. Our temple in his book, The Crystal Sun, Rediscovering a Lost Technology of the Ancient World, addresses navigation. Successful navigation requires that one be able to accurately determine one's location on the globe. It is known, for example, that the Vikings navigated to America. What was the secret technology that allowed them to do that? 
They needed the sun for maritime navigation to determine their geographic position. However, clouds often cover the route from Scandinavia to America. It has been discovered that they used a sunstone to determine the position of the sun even through the clouds. A bipolar lens was used to polarize the diffused light coming through the clouds to determine the sun's location. By using such a sunstone, they could determine their geographic position. Such a lens could have been formed from water sapphire, a rock found in Scandinavia. Use of a polarizing lens would effectively abolish the clouds as an obstacle to maritime navigation. It is a very clever yet effective approach. An example of uparts that most are familiar with are the pyramids. Chittick explains, One area where ancient technology has been studied in great detail is that associated with the Egyptian pyramids. For example, the pyramids at Giza in Egypt are not only very, very large, they were also accurately constructed. One observation in support of that is the fact that the pyramids were survived for more than 4,000 years. Shoddy and inaccurate construction would not have contributed to such an enduring monument. In addition to that, a good foundation is absolutely essential for such a large and high-quality building project. In the case of the Great Pyramid, for example, a level and a very flat base was required. The pyramid builders prepared one. Such a task required high-quality surveying skills. The first thing you have to do if you want to survey anything is establish a level. If you can't do that, you can't go any further. Measurements which are not taken from a level base are useless. Could the Egyptians establish a level? Well, the immediate answer is, of course, they could, since the northern pavement adjoining the Great Pyramid, for instance, is perfectly level. Careful modern surveys of the pavement and the pyramid base show that they were indeed flat, but how flat is flat? A scholar who has been conducting an ongoing research program has made the following observation concerning the flatness of the base of the Great Pyramid. With an error of only seven-eighths of an inch over the entire 13-acre base over a distance of one foot, the amount of error would be only one-thousandth of an inch, less than half the thickness of a human hair. To detect the seventh-eighth of an inch error in the base of the Great Pyramid, even if the base were perfectly flat originally, the ancient guardians would have had to have been in possession of some remarkably advanced measuring equipment. What type of instrumentation matches with the observed degree of accuracy for the base of the Great Pyramid? Up until the electronics era, era modern surveying was done using an instrument called the theodolite. It incorporates a small telescope used for sighting. Although distances are now measured using electronics, the instrument used for sighting still incorporates a small telescope. Did the Egyptians have optical capability for telescopes? It has been discovered that they did have that capability. Robert Temple, a specialist in astronomy, optics, and ancient science, has amply documented this fact. He states, we shall be seeing that only with optical surveying instruments was it possible to construct many of the Old Kingdom Egyptian buildings. In fact, it was physically impossible to construct the Giza pyramids without the use of theodolites or something similar to them. Their precision could not have been achieved in any other way. 
but we know that the lenses needed for optical surveying instruments did indeed exist, and I will also show the evidence for other aspects of ancient Egyptian surveying. This does not involve any far-fetched theorizing. We are dealing with inescapable facts of construction and surveying requirements for which there must be an answer. And unless one is accepting optical surveying, there is nothing left but some form of magic. Dr. Chittick discusses casing stones, highly desired marble stones for the outside of the pyramids. The Giza pyramid, in its original condition when finished, was clad in a layer of casing stones. They were white limestone, marble, and polished to a mirrored finish. It has been estimated that originally there were about 115,000 of these highly polished casing stones. Each weighed an estimated 16 to 20 tons or more and had originally covered all four faces of the pyramid. However, a massive earthquake in A.D. 1301 caused a severe shaking, which loosened many of the casing stones. Subsequently, many of these prized stones were then removed for use in construction in Cairo. In spite of that, enough of the casing stones still remained around the base to allow detailed measurement and study of them. One of the items which interested William Flinders Petrie was the accuracy with which the casing stones were cut and joined. Petrie was, Petrie was amazed at what the measurement showed. The mean thickness of the joints was only a minuscule twenty thousandths of an inch. Inside that narrow gap was a type of cement that bonded the marble with greater strength than that of the marble itself. The composition of the cement is still a mystery. There were various sizes of casing blocks, each weighing between an estimated 16 and 20 tons. The largest blocks, measured 5 feet high, 12 feet long, and 8 feet deep, with an average variation of only one hundredth of an inch over an area of 35 square feet. Even with modern technology, it is doubtful whether modern builders could do as well. Considering the magnitude of the total task of placing such casing stones over the entire pyramid, one investigator makes the following comment. To manufacture just two blocks with a tolerance of ten thousandths of an inch and place them together with a gap of no more than twenty thousandths of an inch is a remarkable feat. To manufacture and position over 100,000 similar blocks requires an industry that the ancient Egyptians are not credited with having developed. Dr. Chittick sums up the discussion on the pyramids. The Great Pyramid thus attests to the fact that the builders were highly skilled and an intelligent body of people. C. Dunn, author of the Giza Power Plant, writes, The pyramid builders were as intelligent as we are. How they applied their knowledge may have been different, but it is obvious that they possessed sufficient knowledge to create an artifact having a distinct feature that, so far, we have not been able to repeat. The bald fact is that the Great Pyramid, by any standard, old or new, is the largest and most accurately constructed building in the world. End of quote. Dr. Chittick offers many more astounding examples from around the world, but one exceptional note is found in Peru concerning the ancient city of Sacsayhuaman. He writes, Some of the large stones used in the building of Sacsayhuaman were quite large. 
In the photograph, for example, my wife and daughter and I are standing in front of a stone estimated to weigh in excess of 100 tons. That is a large stone. However, another even larger stone is located in the area. Concerning this larger stone, one writer comments, What is truly impossible about the block is that it is the size of a five-story house and weighs an estimated 20,000 tons. We have no combination of machinery today that could dislodge such a weight, let alone move it at any distance. The fact that the builders of Saxe Human could and did move the block shows their mastery of a technology which we as yet have not attained. Moving a block weighing 20,000 tons is indeed a significant technological achievement. What is required to move a rock weighing 20,000 tons? The largest land-based crane in use on Earth today is capable of lifting only about 3,000 tons. Yet the builders of Saxe Human not only could, but actually did move objects seven or eight times as large as 3,000 tons. How logical is it then to consider these people as primitive when they could accomplish technical feats of which we moderns are not yet capable? End of quote. Imagine the stone weighed 40 million pounds. When you approach the facts that life supplies from a position of unbelief, your answers will always be upside down, and you'll need to cover the embarrassment with workarounds like living fossils and uparts. But when you approach the same facts in faith, everything fits perfectly in its place. Be of good cheer, beloved of the Lord. God's word is true and righteous altogether, even a place to build a life that will last forever. God said, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Genesis 5, 1 and 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. God said, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I called heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Man said, Living fossils and uparts. Yes, that's what they are. Now you have the record. <laughs> 